So what makes you happy? What makes you happy? Think about a circumstance or an event or something that goes on in your life that brings joy to you. When's the last time you had something that really brought a smile to your face, filled you with positive emotions? Maybe it was a warm, sunny day at the beach with family. Maybe it was hiking in the woods. Maybe it was a family get-together or a wedding or a celebration. Maybe it was when you won an award or received some special recognition for a job well done or a contribution that you had made to an important cause. Maybe it was eating a delicious meal um, with friends. What makes you happy? Do you have something in mind? One thing that makes me happy is a delicious meal out with friends. I delight in the anticipation. I like knowing it's coming. And I like looking forward to it. Um, I love the flavors of food. I like the varieties of things and as, they, as they mix together. It's one of my most favorite things to do. Um, I like steak. It makes me happy. Um, there's something that, that I discovered that was kind of interesting. When I was, I was prayerfully assembling this message and what I was going to talk about tonight, I, I thought through all these things that kind of made me happy. There were points in time. And the, the one thing that by way of personal testimony didn't hit my list was something that I thought, you know, I wonder if it, it would hit anybody's list. And it, and it caught me where I'm at on, I'll call my sanctification journey or my faith journey. And so I'm sharing a little bit of my heart and where the Lord has me as I talk about this message here tonight. But what hap- what's been going on with me probably for the last five or seven years I've been on this, um, this theological thrust of justification, and I've really been caught up, rightly so, in the finished work of Christ. And the, the idea that, um, well, I've kind of pushed back against the whole performance mentality, and I've got to do things mentality, because it's done, it is finished. And so that, that's where I've been. But in February of this year, we went to the Men's Build Conference, and I, I picked up several books. I love books. And uh, one of them, I picked up this Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. And I picked it up as kind of a, I read multiple books at once. And this is kind of like my, hey, if I don't have anything else going on, I'll pick this one up and read it. So I've dabbled in it a little bit. But what it's been pushing me um, into is a focus on what I'll call, you know, the doctrine of sanctification or the part of our salvation that deals with the pursuit of holiness or holiness. And so when I think back to the happiness conversation, um, I didn't put holiness or personal holiness or goodness or rightness or godly living as one of the things that made me happy. It didn't, it didn't hit my radar. And the more that I, I thought about that and considered it against what some of the truths that I know in Scripture are, the more I felt like, you know, that, that makes me a bit uncomfortable with my own personal sanctification. So I'm like, yeah, let's talk about that. So that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit tonight. And what I'm going to do in terms of approaching the topic is give us a, some content around what does God, the creator of the universe, say to us who are disciples of Jesus Christ about the topic of holiness. And it's just a, it's not holistic or all-inclusive. It's just some uh, high-level thoughts on that. We'll hit what are some of the main obstacles a disciple of Jesus Christ faces in the pursuit of personal holiness. And then we'll close with uh, a couple thoughts on 
Now what does a disciple of Jesus Christ do with some of the content we covered? So when you, when you hear the word holiness, did you know in the year 1810, the word holiness was used eight times more in the common popular vernacular than it is today? Eight times more. So most people don't even say the word holiness in our culture. We use it in church, but we don't always mean the same thing when we say it. Uh, for the purposes of our conversation tonight, holiness is roughly um, a synonym for rightness or goodness or godly living or doing good works motivated by faith. It's r- roughly synonymous, although there's nuance in all those different terms, but that's roughly what I mean. Uh, what, is, what is sin? So sin, again, just for a working definition for our conversation tonight, um, sin is a, a lack of conformity to God's moral um, law in, in thought and in attitude and in action indeed, or in our essential basic nature. So a lack of conformity with, with God's moral law or decree, thought, attitude, action, um, basic nature, deed, uh, would cover sin. So think about holiness as right living, um, Perfect holiness would be the absence of sin, right? So what, is, what does God say in his word? What are some of the topics God says in his word about the idea of holiness? You're welcome to turn to some of these passages with me. It's a bit of a survey, so we'll jump around a little bit. It's, um, and this is one of those scenarios where I think it's helpful to actually have a Bible app. You can go a little faster from one book to the, the next. But the first passage I wanted to look at is uh, Matthew 13, 44. You'll know this one. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty common. Kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys the field. The focus of what I'm saying here is the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is, is this domain that's run by a king. The king issues decrees for the kingdom. And the king of the kingdom of heaven is Jesus Christ, God. And this kingdom of heaven, this domain where God issues his decrees, is like a treasure. And so when I think about holiness, I think about holiness as like a treasure. It's a, it's a dimension that we as disciples could enter into that is, that's worth everything that we have to enter into it. And um, I, don't, I know that. I know it intellectually, I can read it, but experientially, when I think about some of the ideas about happiness, I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know, because if I had a kingdom like that, now listen to my words, if I had a kingdom like that, I do, right, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, but if I had a kingdom of like, that, like that, that would be great. Matter of fact, it'd be worth everything, right, to enter into it. So something to think about as, as how God presents... The, holiness to us. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.34. This has always been an interesting verse to me. 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. Huh, how about that? You can see how I made that mistake. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. 
And I always found this verse fascinating because we spend so much time and energy and effort talking about what the will of God is for our lives. Where should we go to school? Who should we marry? Should we buy this car? Should we make this investment? Is it time to retire? Um, should I have a kid? Should I have another kid? How should I parent? What's the will of God for my life? And scripture says the will of God for my life is my sanctification. And there's great news behind that to me because it's situationally independent. It's situationally agnostic. God's will for my life isn't dependent on what's going on in my external universe. It's my sanctification. And no matter what my context is, I can live out God's will for my life. It's my sanctification. It's my move into holiness. Um, That's freeing. That's incredibly freeing. Um, to think about it from that perspective. So as a treasure, as God's specific will for my life, it's also part of a disciple's new life. It's expected to be part of a disciple's new life. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 1, 14. says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. It's kind of expected as part of a believer's new life. It's an explicit command. We're told to be holy. Um, We're told to pursue holiness. That feels like, so if, if I am at this point where I've been brought to life, I'm living this new life, and now I'm here and I'm told to do something, it feels like I've got this volitional choice to make. I've got to apply some effort in in a particular direction. And I do it based on my established identity in Christ, but I certainly do it. I don't do something less than than doing it. And it's clear from this passage that Peter's writing um, that there's going to be something that was associated with the life before I entered into my life as a disciple. And that that was these, these passions, that I had within me. And what was interesting about this verse to me is Peter doesn't say, hey, these passions that you had when you lived a life of ignorance, remember that word ignorance, we'll go back to that, but these passions that you had when you lived a life of ignorance, they're not, they're not leaving you. He just says, don't be conformed to them anymore. Hmm. That's kind of interesting too. Why? Because they were part of your former ignorance. So I've got this new life, this holiness call, that's a command to me that is uh, the antithesis of the ignorance that I used to walk in. It's wise. Holiness is a wise life. That's pretty interesting to me as well. Um, Holiness is an illuminated perspective. So holiness in the call to holiness is something that the Holy Spirit works or makes apparent to us. Our former life was ignorance. The illuminated life of the disciple is now um, a privileged position where you can actually see the world and truth for, for what it is. And so no wonder it's this great treasure. No wonder it's, it's as good as it's, we're told it is. It's seeing life as it really is. And that's very... Um, it makes me think a little bit differently about why would I pursue holiness? Holiness is also a reformation of the mind and of the desires. Ephesians 4, 22 and 23. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after 
the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And the, that former manner of your life, we, we saw that it was um, a set of passionate desires. Here Paul talks about it as a corrupted life, flawed life, uh, that's based on deceitful desires. And I find that pretty fascinating too, that holiness stands in contrast to deceit. So truth, deceit, um, corruption, perfection. Holiness is presented to us as a treasure, as um, the will of God, as truth, as perfection, not flawed corruption. That's pretty interesting. But then it's presented to us um, in a collection of different terms. So I, I, I wrote down the word, it's presented to us as beneficial. And sometimes, you know, um, well, so just sometimes in the realm of Christianity, if I feel like I get something out of the deal, it feels like I, I ought to not want it, right? Because I don't want to be selfish. But holiness is presented to us as beneficial. We, we do actually get something out of it. We, we get wisdom. We get, um, we get freedom. We get freedom to live life as we're truly designed to live life. We get, this is from Proverbs 20, verse 7. I won't turn there, but we get a, a blessing to our children. A righteous life leads to a blessing for your children. Um, righteous life is better than money. Righteous life is an honorable life. We, we get something out of this deal, which I find absolutely fascinating because it's not just this, woe is me, I got to do it. It's drudgery. It's a, it's a treasure that we absolutely benefit from. We get, you know, there's a lot of talk about, um, yeah, there's a pop, popular psychology, a guy, Simon Sinek, he talks about find your why. Find your why. Um, get your passion. Figure out your call. What's your contribution you can make in life? And the call to holiness is the call to participating in life the way life was designed to be. It's not corrupt. It's perfect. And so it's interesting to me, it's always interesting to me when the secular world starts going after core motivations that are only offered in Jesus Christ. And to me, that's, a, that's one of them. The call to holiness is a call to completion, to purpose, to fulfillment. The call to holiness, this is a big one too. The call to holiness is a call to the freedom from the fear of man. So the tyranny of the fear of man is, is throughout Scripture. The, the fear of man drives behavior all over the place. The desire to fit in, fit in, the desire to be part of the group, the desire to contribute in a way that other people affirm and value. And here we have the call to holiness from the creator of the entire world as being completely independent of what other people say, yet participatory and contributory to the good of mankind. And I find that absolutely fascinating as well. And finally, I think the call to holiness to the disciple of Jesus is a, a source of joy. You know, walk according to the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. You'll not do things that you desire. Well, what's the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians, right? Love and joy and peace and patience. And all these things that the world 
would seek the secular world, those outside of Christ, those pursuing these passionate desires in their ignorance, all the things that they're pursuing, we, we see embodied in the fruit of the Spirit, of a life yielded to following after the Spirit. And certainly one of those things is joy. And so when I look at the collection of attributes we talked about, if someone were to take that collection of attributes and put it on a platter and offer it to me or perhaps offer it to you, I, I think we'd take it every time. And, and I think we'd be happy about it. If we, if we won, as in a lottery, a life that was a life like we just looked at, that would be a pretty amazing thing. And so I wondered... If, like in the words of C.S. Lewis, where he talks about man being far too easily pleased, playing in mud puddles instead of going over the hill to enjoy a day at the ocean, I wonder if my stake and the things that I think about when I think about what makes me happy represent things that I'm far too easily pleased with. And I wonder if maybe you find yourself in that situation. I don't know. But that's kind of where I'm at in wrestling through some of these things in my my personal faith journey. And so I think about, well, what are, some of the, what are some of the obstacles? What are some of the main challenges that we run into as disciples of Jesus Christ um, in pursuing a life of holiness? And one of the things is our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. This is, a, this is a point that Bridges made. It took me a while to get my head around this one. I hope I do it justice because it's subtle. But we talk about victory over sin versus obedience to our Lord. And this victory over sin is a thing that we want for ourselves to have a good life. Obedience to the king is just the right move or the right call. Victory over sin is certainly a fruit of obedience to the Lord. But if we had the mindset that said, I am obedient to the king and not a preoccupation with being victorious over our sin, victory over our sin would ultimately be the result. And so I think sometimes we can be more focused on ourselves and our victory over our sin rather than a submission and a following to the king of the universe. Another um, difficulty in the life of holiness, another obstacle, might be um, misunderstanding of a life lived by faith. So six months ago, I started a new job. I started a job doing with a technology startup company. And we, we have a cool product. We make no money. We're funded by investors, right? And so we're, we're supposed to make this cool product. And then part of what I do is go out and find people who want to use the new product and give us money for it. And eventually we find enough people that it pays the investors back. That's the whole model. And so there's a, there's a part of me. I'm, I'm reliant upon God's providence in all this. And I, and I get that. And it's kind of like a farmer with a field. The farmer's reliant upon rain. But if that farmer doesn't, plant any seeds, there'll never be a harvest. In my world, if I don't actually make some phone calls and talk to people, if I just sit in my home all day and do whatever I do, um, I'll, I'll never find anyone to buy the product. And sometimes in the life of faith, we can think that it's the antithesis of 
personal effort or personal responsibility rather than the life of faith being the foundational driver and enabler of the personal responsibility to pursue holiness. So life of faith does not negate a life of personal effort. The two kind of seem to work together. The other thing that can get in the way of pursuing holiness is not taking sin um, seriously. I don't mean all sin. I mean, um, there are certain sins that are unacceptable. We'll always take those seriously, right? You can't do those. But there's other sins that are acceptable, and we don't really take those as seriously, right? Some sin is tolerable. And it, and it might be the case that I never, I never steal, but I, I might just not be quite straightforward on my taxes, but I, I wouldn't steal. I might not be prideful, but I might brag about my humility and acts of service, you know. Um, here's an interesting one in our culture. The, um, with respect to sexuality and sexual morality, I find it really interesting that there, there is a train of thought, and it's a train of thought I've even encountered within um, the church at times, that says it's okay for me to um, watch immoral things as long as I don't participate or as long as I don't know the people in there. You know, as if the people that are being depicted aren't really people unless I have met them personally, right? Um, but there's, a, there's an acceptance of it. Now, you know, I, I recall a couple conversations I, I had around this topic with guys that um, was around viewing things of sexual and moral nature. And the, com the comment I always like to make, because it's a, little, it's a little unsettling, and so it's memorable, at least in my opinion, is, so you, you did that? Yeah, I did that. Do you ever just sit down and just watch it with your mom? No, I never, I, I've never done that. That's weird. Why did you even ask me that? Well, I just wondered why it was more comfortable to watch it with God than your mom. I, didn't, I wasn't sure about that, right? So it's, it's, there's a reality to how we regard life um, that says, you know, maybe we don't see the truth of the omnipresent, omnipotent God who's always omniscient God, who's always with us um, the right way. Maybe we tend to think about the horizontal relationships we have more significantly. Maybe we don't take sin seriously enough, especially in the small ways that are our favorite pet sins. Um, the last one is, you know, maybe we haven't really fixed our hope on our future correctly. Maybe that gets in the way. First um, John 3, 3, that says that uh, he who has this hope um, purifies himself as he is purified. So maybe if we, if we had our hope fixed on what the true magnificence, you know, when, when we get to the point of salvation that's called glorification, when we're completely sanctified and made into the image of Christ and we're going to be with, in the presence of God for eternity, uh, that's the end state of holiness, right? So we pursue this holiness. That's the end state. Maybe if we had our, our hope fixed on this, this end state of life with Christ forever in perfect holiness, that would help motivate our purity right now. He who has this hope within him purifies himself even as he is pure. Maybe that's one of our obstacles. Um, I don't know. But some things to consider. And so wh what do we do with this, uh, 
look at holiness? What are some things that, you, that might come to mind? You may have some. You may have nothing. But I'll throw a couple out here that you may want to take advantage of. The first is regard your sin as an offense against God, not just a personal setback. So think about areas of sin as actually done in the presence of God and offensive to him. And it's not that, boy, it's not that the penalty for your sins not paid for in Christ. It, it sure is. But, it, but sin is sin nonetheless, and it's done in the presence of God. Maybe, maybe take personal responsibility for your sin. That, that's, this is the one. I'm, I'm saying these things, even though they say them to you, I, I wrestle with them. And it's not that I don't believe in personal responsibility for my sin. I do. But it feels, it feels uncomfortable. It feels like there's a weight or a burden um, that is placed upon one's shoulders when, when you say things like take personal responsibility for your sin. But we, we live, and the, the third one I'll mention is um, decide to obey in all areas of your life, even in the ones that you view as insignificant. There's not a minor, there's not a minor sin. If you know something is sin, if your conscience is pricking at you, if any man knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, this then is sin. Um, obey in all the areas of life that are on your heart. Because he, here's, here's where I landed on this point. Now, maybe it's helpful to you, maybe not. But the before Christ... We had this law of God that we had to obey. Mankind did, when I say we. Mankind did. And, and we couldn't do it. And so this is the story of the Israelites, right? You, yeah, we're going to do it. We're on, yeah, go. We're going to get it done. And we failed. And now we're going to be crushed again. And now we're going to do it. And we failed. And we're going to be crushed again. And so we couldn't measure up. And all this was pointing to Christ. We needed someone who could. We needed a Savior. Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He lived the holiness that we're talking about. And was crucified, died, and rose again. And so we place our faith in him as our substitute. And so now we enter as disciples of Jesus Christ, as students of Jesus Christ, a position unlike any other. The, again, to incorporate some thought from the outside world, one of the questions that's often asked of people when a motivational speaker is wanting to inspire them is, Hey, what would you do? What would you be? What would you try? What would you attempt if you knew failure wasn't an option? Right? And it's supposed to say, oh, I would do this, or I would do that, or I would do the other great thing. And so we live, we live this life where we're presented holiness and all its grandeur and all its magnificence, and we're called to it. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, with our faith firmly fixed in his finished work, we can pursue holiness without this fear of failure without this compulsory, I've got to perform or I won't measure up. We can try and risk and go forward in ways that we never could have without the blood of Jesus Christ covering us. And I find that, I find that freeing. I find that um, incredibly freeing in the midst of the call to do something that's far, far beyond me and yet so stirring to my imagination that I, I can't seem to get enough of it. And so the final thing is make a, make a plan. Make a plan. There's a discipleship plan on Ventura's website if you wanted to use that. A discipleship plan for stewarding your life towards holiness. Stewarding your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple 
making disciple. Um, if you've never had a plan before, maybe make a plan. Maybe it's not a big plan. Maybe it's not a plan for a year. Maybe it's a plan for three months or a quarter. Um, maybe it's a plan for a month. Maybe it's a plan for tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to apply myself in this direction. I'm going to take this sin seriously. I'm going to pursue holiness in this particular fashion. But make a plan and work, then work the plan and then evaluate the results of the plan. But move forward in personal holiness. Um, God is good. He's perfectly good. It's one of his qualities. He's loving. And um, he's made both... Um, He's paid for our sins if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, if we've given our lives to Christ. And he calls us to this holiness. And we can trust him. And so as we, as we go forward tonight, I'm going to close this in a, in a word of prayer. But um, I just, you know, maybe join me in thinking about your personal holiness, how you regard the topic of holiness, what kinds of things make you happy. And... Um, and where the Holy Spirit would find you tonight before him. So let's close in prayer. Father, Lord Jesus, I think you are the smartest man who ever walked on the earth, and I think you are 100% divine. You're like no one else. But I, I, know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you didn't live a futile, worthless, ridiculous life. You lived the kind of life that had I met you on earth, I would have been stunned at some of the things that you said. I would have been enthralled at your wisdom. I would have been amazed at how you handled the crowds and the responses that you gave to people. You're my kind of guy, and you're my kind of God. And you tell us all these great things about a life of holiness. And sometimes, Lord, I can be so sluggish to respond, or so hard-hearted, or so self-justifying. And I don't want that for my life. Um, so please help me. And for my brothers and sisters here, I pray that you help us. Help us to see collectively the beauty of holiness and help us to apply collectively with gentleness and humility and support and camaraderie and one faith our efforts towards holiness, trusting in you for our ultimate glorification on a great day when you would return. So Jesus, thank you very much. And it's your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Mike. So let's take a few minutes to break up into groups, pray together and pray to that end and really consider holiness. What does that look like in our lives? How do we how do we intentionally move ourselves forward in holiness? So let's pray that for ourselves, pray that for each other in your groups, and let's pray for that for us as a church all together. And I'll close us in a few minutes. Oh, Father, we thank you again for this chance to gather together tonight, Father, to, to hear your truth. Father, to hear your word and how you speak about holiness, Father. And we thank you that for those here tonight that have trusted in you, Father, that we are holy. And yet, Father, because of the sin in our own hearts still in this life, Father, we're, we're not yet there. 
And we need you. you. We need your grace day by day, Father, to lay aside our, our sinful desires, Father, and focus our eyes on you, our great King, our great Lord, our great Savior. So, Father, I pray tonight that you would open our eyes to the sin in our own lives, Father, that you would open our eyes to the fact that every sin against you is a treason against the high king. Father, that you would show us those places where we are weak and strengthen us in it, Father, by your spirit. I pray that we as a church would come together and lovingly come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ to spur them on to greater holiness, to reveal sin in their lives, Father, and and help pursue them or help them to pursue holiness and righteousness. Father, that we would do these things together. And I pray, Father, that we would never settle for the mud puddles, but look at the beautiful ocean that you've laid before us, Father, and, and seek after all those things which are good and right and pure and holy. Father, give us a desire for these things tonight, a zeal for these things tonight, Father, for your honor and for your glory. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.